name is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to More Than Child's Play podcast. This is your host, Nicole Surgent. I'm a physical therapist and co-owner of Milestones and Miracles. I'm here today with my best friend and business partner, speech therapist Lacey Marisi. We're happy to be featuring, as we head back to school, an educational um, podcast series on some things and topics that we feel are important to parents. We know they are because they're things that we, topics and um, Um, conversations that interest us ourselves as um, moms. And so we're delighted to welcome some of our favorite educators and experts to our table today. Today, we are so excited to welcome Cindy Everts. Cindy um, is an educator here locally in Martinsburg, West Virginia. She's a teacher at South Middle School. Cindy received her Master's of Gifted Education from John Hopkins University. She's been teaching for 33 years, um, ranging from pre-K through 8th grade. Most of those years have been spent in gifted education, specifically in math and reading. Um, Cindy has the prestigious National Board Certification. She's won a variety of awards through her years as a teacher, um, including the Arch Cole Teacher Award in in 2015, excuse me. Um, She was awarded in 2014 the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching and um, got to visit our nation's capital, received that award at Constitution Hall, and got to visit the White House, which delighted her students greatly. Um, She also works writing and reviewing math curriculum. Um, in a variety of places, and is a teacher ambassador with iEarn Education, which is a global partnership that connects classrooms throughout the world. Um, I can say from a personal note, um, Cindy Everts is one of my family's most dearest and um, and beloved teachers. I've had the pleasure of um, having her as a teacher for my daughter for a number of years, and I'm just so happy to have you here with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, um, one of the reasons we wanted to welcome Cindy is we know in 2018, we're just going to hit the ground running. There's a lot of parents that are frustrated and some maybe even angry about what they've coined new math. Um, I've, I've heard it called lots of things. Um, and, and, I know from having friends um, that are in the trenches of parenting, they work all day, they come home, they're running from sports events, they're trying to do dinner, they're trying to get kids bathed and in bed, and then we get to math homework, and there's often a fight at the kitchen table about how the child is being taught math at school and how that's different from how the parent learned math. Um, And that leads to frustration when the parent's trying to help the child and it seems like their way is so different than than our way. Um, And I've learned personally from you 
why that different difference exists. And, and for our family, that education and that knowledge and understanding of why things have changed has been extremely helpful. So I'm wondering if you can tell our audience what new math actually means, why we've kind of adapted a different way of teaching math, and, and some of the benefits of that. Okay, so, so the term new math, let's start with that. That actually was coined back, I think, in the 1960s. So, oh wow, it's not new then. Oh so, no, no, <laughs> and and so we had um, a lot of parents angry back there too, and of course that was um, how we changed the way math was being taught back then as a as a result and response of Sputnik and and looking at you know our America American kids are far behind, and so every time we've had any of these initiatives with math. It's to, um, it's in response to something. We don't change things because they're working. We change things because we need something new. We need to help our own kids. So, so there was a new math in the 60s. Then there was a new new math, I think, in the 80s. And we, today, we're not really even calling what we're doing new math because math isn't new. There's, there's nothing new about it at mm-hmm. all. Um, the way we're teaching math is a little different, uh, and the way we're teaching math now um, is the way we've, I, I've been wanting to teach math this way, or I have been teaching math this way since the 80s. Um, so it's, it's the way that we know that kids learn best. Um, and so the why we're doing it now, so our, our standards, if you look at some high standards, no matter whether you call them common core standards or or next generation standards or whatever standards they are, the standards that we have today are mostly based on um, understanding what's going on mm-hmm. rather than just memorizing um, a list of of facts or a list of topics that are unrelated. Um, so. Um, how are they different? So, so the new standards look at, do kids actually understand what they're doing? Can they actually relate this, what they're learning now to what comes next? Um, we have a lot, the one, one word that we use a lot in math education is conceptually, conceptual-based learning um, rather than memorization. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we do that because, I mean, they've looked at, Kids who memorize a lot can get through math, um, but often don't go on to higher math mm-hmm. and often aren't as successful as some of the kids who actually have been, who understand it and play with it and solve problems with it. And then think about what, what do we want in the real world? You know, what as if you were hiring somebody, would you want a memorizer or would you want somebody who could solve problems? Mm-hmm. Would you want people who could talk with each other to, to solve a problem? Um, I mean, as far as memorization, we can memorize all we want, but our phones and our calculators can give us all that. So there are no jobs for calculation, you know, in, yeah. in the field, you know, but there are jobs for problem solving. And so a lot of these new, um, like the lattice multiplication, the lattice multiplication <laughs> or the different methods. Okay. They're, they're, correct me if I'm wrong, are they aimed at giving the children multiple ways to solve a problem? Was that the well, goal? the standards don't tell you how 
to teach anything. The standards say that you will understand X, Y, and Z. And you will be able to solve it in multiple ways. So lattice, for example. Lattice is actually very, very old. I mean, hundreds of years old. And, I mean, I've read a couple things on it. One, one way I, I saw on it, it was, it was a way to make things easier for, for people. Um, I don't know which mathematician used it. But it's, it's a tr- in my mind, I don't like lattice very much because I see it sort of as a trick. I don't see it as a way that kids really understand. I wouldn't call that a conceptual-based math Mm-hmm. Um, way of doing multiplication, whereas I would, uh, you may have seen kids do something called the box method. Mm-hmm. Now, the box method looks very, very different. I mean, it looks a little bit like lattice, but is very different from lattice because it's based on place value. So um, it's hard to to show. I could show it to you because yeah. I'm very visual. <laughs> it's hard to explain. But um, there's a lot of things that we do differently today. We look at, well, how do we want kids to be more nimble with the way they think in mathematics? So if we're looking at very young children, instead of memorizing all of our facts, let's look at all the ways we can make 10. So you may have, may have seen 10 frames or number bonds, and kids are flexible of looking what two numbers make 10. Oh, it's 9 and 1 and 8 and 2 and 3 and 7, and they... And, and they're, they become much more flexible in the way they're thinking. Right. Um, so um, those are some of the things that you might see in, in the lower elementary and then different ways of multiplying. But, you know, the lattice, I used to teach it back um, when I had gifted students after they'd learned other ways to do it. And my thing with them was to figure out how it worked. Right. And that, I think, is a good exercise. But just memorizing and using lattice, I don't know. Eh, right. That's okay. When you said kids that memorize don't go on to higher math, I just wanted to raise my hand. Because when I've talked to friends who are frustrated about the way our children are, are learning math now, I think to myself, well, the way we learned math didn't really make me great at math. Mm. I was smart enough to memorize and get through pre-calculus, but I didn't know what I was doing. I literally mm-hmm. had no clue and spent a lot of time feeling frustrated and unconfident, um, which was stressful. And so that's, that's you know, my realization as a parent was it's not that we had this stellar way of learning math and then mm-hmm. we're changing it. I think a lot of people, if they really were honest with themselves, would see okay, I learned math, but I didn't under, fully understand it. So mm-hmm. why not choose something a little different for our kids? It's frustrating when you aren't equipped to help them. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to not, to want, I want my kids to be better at math than I was. And they are mm-hmm. because of the way they're being taught. Um, so I know before you've mentioned to me that this way of math is sort of learning math as a language and being able to, to move it to different arenas. And instead of just learning fractions once a year in February, it's taking fractions and, and using it at different parts of the year so that they're not just isolating a skill and doing it once through the mm-hmm. year. And are they finding that that teaching it that way has longer benefits of staying and understanding? Well, I don't know since I'm not up on that research. <laughs> I I do know that I think my students do better 
when they um, work with mathematics, actually, if we look at it through a problem, yeah. you know, so rather than just worksheets, let's, let's teach how to add or subtract fractions. Let's start with a problem and then have the kids realize that That's they a need fraction. to add or subtract fractions. Right. And, either draw upon what they learned already or say, oh, we need this skill. Um, so that's kind of the whole spin around problem-based learning is yeah. that it it, provi- it puts everything in a context so the students see a reason to learn for, for needing to learn it. And they're mm-hmm. excited about it. I hope so. I think they are. <laughs> how, is this how math is taught around the world? Um, are we just catching up with how they're doing things other places? Mm-hmm. Do they do it different in other parts of the world? Who's best at math? What do you, tell us kind so, of globally. So that's a great question because from what I have read and seen, um, the United States is awesome at coming up with math ideas, math education ideas. But what's happened is the rest of the world has taken our ideas and actually using them. Mm. Japan and Finland and places like that are using stuff that has was originated, originally thought up in the United States. I never knew that. Yeah. I just thought incredible. Finland was the winner of everything. Oh, that's interesting <laughs> because I was reading up on that. They are the winner as far as everybody and so um, if you look at their test scores, they are really awesome. But if you look at their highest kids, so, and, and to look at that, there's this um, mathematical Olympiad uh, for high schools, not to be confused with the kids, ones our kids do mm-hmm. in the elementary and middle school, but there's a mathematical Olympiad for high schools. And um, so the United States for that ranks third in the world. Wow. Behind China and Korea. Finland is at 67th on that. Now, that is data that's about five years old. But what it says to me is, like, you know, we're not going to have the perfect system anywhere, everywhere. Um, You know, if we're, if we're, Finland is really, really great at doing everybody, but I, their teachers even complain sometimes that they sometimes worry that they're not getting the highest students. Hmm. So... That's anyway, interesting. But they do use our methods. Um, as far as um, Japan is concerned, I've seen pictures uh, and videos of their classes, and they typically go with a problem. Mm-hmm. Students have to work on them on their own. Students work together, talk about it. Then we have a, a group discussion. And um, that's kind of a way that I've been teaching for mm-hmm. many years. Yeah. The I was American say, that model. That sounds familiar. Well, yeah. The American <laughs> model, though, sadly, in most math classes, is watch me, the teacher. You do one, and then you go home for homework, and you do, do a, a bunch more, and you struggle. Now, the um, what I usually like to do, and I'm not. I don't always do this. Sometimes I find myself, you know, teaching in a way that I don't want to do just because I'm cramming stuff down their throat, you know, but, um, ideally the way I like to do it is you kids find a problem, start working on it, struggle a little bit Mm -hmm. and struggle is something I really want to talk about at Mm -hmm. some point here because I think that's super, super important, but then, okay, turn to your neighbor, share your ideas, talk about it. Then, let's all talk together. I've heard of that. Somebody coined the 
you, y'all, we method is what it's called. (laughs) And I love it. I love it. I did not coin that term, but I love it because it gets kids talking. Mm -hmm. And um, I really think, especially for girls, I know this is Mm -hmm. something you wanted to focus on, especially for girls, that discourse is really, really important. That Mm -hmm. talking to each other and coming together with with Collaboratively. Yeah. So... And then when we all work together, we can bring up some things, you know. Right. Um, let's well, let's just talk about the struggle a little bit. And I mm. I think that um, I know as a mom, kids today. I've had I've had children who were not always pushed to the point of struggle. Things were easy, and then when things became challenging, initial face off with struggle was shocking and we didn't know how to do that Mm -hmm. and I think we lose a lot of our best math kids that way because they have not been asked to struggle and then all of a sudden they think they're not smart anymore Mm -hmm. when they when they they get to that point yeah right so um the struggle is incredibly important and you think about it in terms physically Mm -hmm. I I I tell my students if you want to build muscle are you going to lift this pencil a million times? Is that going to help you? Mm-hmm. You know, or are you going to lift a higher weight and try to struggle with it? Mm-hmm. And they get that. Right. But then when you make, when you bring it to a struggling with a problem, we get in this whole like mindset of thinking we're dumb. You know, if we mm-hmm. don't know it right away, then we're not as smart as the there's there's this this feeling that the people who succeed always get it right away. Mm-hmm. You know, they're that they're they're naturals. And they're know? kids who are growing up in a culture of high performance, uh, pressure for high success, mm-hmm. pressure pressure for perfection. Um, we've talked about this before in lectures that we've given. You know, everyone's different. Everyone has natural given strengths and and things that are more challenging. But parents today are given the message from society that your kid should be excel academically, verbally, mathematically, athletically. They should be beautiful. They should be, you know, and it's it's just it's just not stress. it's too much. <laughs> um, and so when they when it's not easy and when they don't excel immediately, I don't mm-hmm. think they know they know how to deal with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something we have to work with them with. And it's something I especially with my gifted students, I talk to this, them about this a lot because as gifted students, they come in thinking everything's got to be easy. And I try to break them of that right away in a safe environment. Right. And so it's important to struggle. It's That's how we learn. You don't grow if you you're not challenged, truly challenged. Yeah, you have not learned anything if you already know the answer. Mm-hmm. Right. The only way you're learning anything is for your brain to struggle through it and then come to an answer. And so the job of the teacher then is to give them that that safe place. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been doing a lot of reading lately about the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. Yes. Super important in, in math classes because most of our kids have fixed mindsets. And our teachers need to have a growth mindset too. That's really important. But um, we have to be really aware of not rewarding a fixed mindset mm-hmm. by like taking that first answer and then moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's something that really frustrates a lot of my math students is they'll say, is this right? And I won't tell them. I won't, I'll, I'll say, is it? And then they question themselves and may try to do it a different way. And then they're, they're more confident. Mm-hmm. But I won't. Because if I said, yes, you're right, their brain's going to stop. Mm-hmm. They're going to stop thinking. They don't have to think anymore. They just get that validation and we move yeah. on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's rewarding that. And um, I had a, a mentor of mine tell me once, she said, the real math begins when you answer the problem. Because then you start thinking about all of the different X, Y, and Z from there. You know, what's a different way to do it? Or, mm-hmm. um, and one thing that she did that I do often is she gives everybody a problem. And then she says, I want to hear from somebody who got the wrong answer first. And they're like, what? You know, didn't you want to hear from the right answer? I want to hear the wrong answer. If you got I the wrong that. answer first, and then how did you get to the right answer from the wrong answer? That's where the learning is. Yeah. That's, I love that. I loved it too. Yeah. I love that. I know my husband spent a lot of time um, volunteering in Cindy's class and he, in the beginning, he would come home and say, they did one problem and then literally five kids could go to the board and show how they got the answer different ways. And he was (laughs) like, he was so impressed because it shows that they're thinking. They're not just computing and mm-hmm. spouting out an answer. Yeah. And then they could learn from each other that there was a different way to get mm-hmm. to the same answer. Yeah. And especially when we're talking lower, younger kids in math, that's what we should be doing. We should be going deeper and deeper, not spreading out and going faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they have that depth of understanding and they also have those tools of solving problems and they know how to struggle, then when they get to the higher levels of math, they're going to be so much more prepared mm-hmm. and, and confident. ready to go and confident. Yeah. So I know you have done for us a, um, an excellent job educating us so that we can help our kids. But I think in general, it's not uncommon that that gap exists between schools and parents mm-hmm. where the che- the parents themselves don't understand what's going on, so they can't help their kids. Mm. What suggestions do you have um, for school administrators or for teachers or even for parents who are collectively trying to bridge that gap and and make the, the move from school to home more seamless and have everyone on the same page? Mm-hmm. Are there certain resources? Are there certain methods um, that could be helpful? Like, I wish that maybe this is dreamy, but I wish that as part of the back to school night where we learned about, you know, bring your pencils and you need a binder. And this is when we have a teacher in service day. I wish there was a small, like, tutorial for parents on math like I wish someone could stand up and say this and if you're struggling with your kid with math homework here's where you go for help Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would go a long way I don't know if anyone will listen to that advice but (laughs) what advice do you have to for that gap Okay, so you've asked about administrators, too many questions. Parents, everybody, just trying to get this straight. (laughs) Um, So, for teachers, I know for me, I am trying really, really hard to give less homework. Yay! But the homework (laughs) I give, I want it to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. I also am trying really hard to give homework that is not something they've just learned, because 
you know, I know as a teacher that I'll get backlash from that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. And sometimes I've given an assignment because, oh my gosh, the bell rang and here was your assignment. And I didn't think, and I'll go, oh, that was a mistake. There's going to be problems tonight. And, you know, and then the next day there is. So um, I try to be really aware of what homework I'm giving. And I do give less than I used to. Um, One problem for me, if they could do one problem, that would be great. Or if they could Mm -hmm. practice some of the things that we've been doing, like Khan Academy Mm -hmm. or something like that, that would be great. Um, So as a teacher, I would suggest looking at your homework and not sending home homework that you know they're going to have problems with. Mm -hmm. Um, As a parent, big thing, first thing I would do is not help them too much. Okay, because I've seen that when parents help too much, the kids do less. The more the parents do, the less the kids do. Mm -hmm. And it's their homework, and it's their brain that needs to grow. Um, So I would help less. I would say, okay, give it 20 minutes. See what you can do in 20 minutes. And then, you know, bring it in. You tried. Um, I would also have say to parents... Do a little research. Find out what this is about. Maybe um, go to the website of the particular textbook that the, the teacher's using or program that the teacher's using. Read up a little bit about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, really important, ask the teacher. Mm-hmm. That's super, super important. Yeah. Just ask. Um, most teachers are willing to... to Explain what they're doing. Explain a little bit. Yeah. I know you mentioned Khan Academy. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll put that as a link to the podcast as a resource. Um, That's been a huge help for our family because when we didn't understand math and they were struggling with homework, my husband, who's a saint, um, could look at the tutorials, the videos that are included in Khan Academy and sort of understand it himself to give them Mm -hmm. cues and prod them along. Um, and just the kids working through their grade level of Khan Academy, it is meaningful work. It's it not just drill work. It's mm-hmm. it's meaningful work. And and it's made a huge difference mm-hmm. um, for our kids. So that's a great resource for parents and for teachers if they're not already using it. Um, okay, so while we're talking about gaps... Um, we know that there there's a big gap between educational policy policy and legislation. Lacey and I have talked about this before. Um, we were actually, as we got into this work a, a few years ago, spent some time um, on a, a global conference call with educators and developmental therapists and different people from policymakers, people who advocated for play at the UN. And the Lego Foundation is actually doing a lot of research into closing the gap between educational research and legislative policy. Um, And something that was interesting to me was educational research is usually longitudinal in nature. And so it takes um, more than a four or eight year term to get the information Um, And once the information is received, then we go through another election cycle and uh, education is often used by everybody. No, no pointing fingers, but can be used by everybody um, as sort of like a 
a pawn in the game um, and and can be manipulated for the benefit of politics and with the focus not being on what our kids are learning. Mm-hmm. So I know that that you know uh, about this area and you've you're aware and you've <laughs> you've you've worked with other teachers, um, which are the most important people, I think, in this conversation about that. What what do parents, I don't know if a lot of parents know about that. And, and in just in general, what do parents need to know about who who decides on policy and curriculum um, for their their children? And if they want to be aware of it or, or speak up to be a voice for what's best practice in the actual classroom, what can they do? That's a loaded question. I know. Wow. It's a hard one. Yeah. But so, I feel like if, it, if it's going to change, we need parents who are aware. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and the whole political thing in my classroom kind of bugs me a little bit. Um, just that m- my math methods are politically charged. Just I just don't understand that. I can't... It doesn't I make cannot sense. wrap my head around it. Um, and so... Yeah, so let's. I'm all for the legislature funding us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> public education needs to be funded. Yeah, and actually, that is their main job. The legislature, their their main job is to fund um, public education. Now, every state is different. Right. This is interesting. So, in West Virginia, you know, we have um, our governor who. Uh, then appoints, I believe. You see, I'm not even really up on all this, but yeah. um, the, the state, state board, board of, of education. Yeah. yeah. So, and and then we have the the um, um, the state superintendent, and from there, now the legislature is actually not really in that equation. Um, you know, as far as mm-hmm. where they are, how, but they are meant, they are to fund us. Um, and so, like, if they, but they have done a few things like prohibiting certain standards, trying to prohibit certain standards, trying to prohibit certain uh, um, assessments. Methods. Yeah. And that just, does, I just don't understand it. Um, I, I looking at it, I'm seeing that probably a lot of the standards, a lot of people see the standards that were for many of the, I, I hate to say Common Core, but that's what they are, the Common Core mm-hmm. standards. They saw it as federal overreach. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, the federal government is trying to tell us what to do. But those standards were were built by by a lot of people who are experts in the field. And they were not just stuck there. They're, the reason they were there is because we wanted to have our states to be sort of close, you know, mm-hmm. so that somebody in West Virginia could get just as good of an education as somebody in California or Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really important to me, mm-hmm. that we're not, that we can kind of look and see what we're, what we're teaching and, and do our kids have that same opportunity. Mm-hmm. They're also meant, if, if you looked at curriculum 20, 25 years ago and even past that, you would have seen a ton of objectives and standards. Um, and so the criticism of American education that we, was that we were a mile wide and an inch deep. 
meaning our kids were exposed to all these things, but they never really got to, to explore them in depth. So the, the current standards that we have looked at it comprehensively from K to 12. What do kids need to know each year? which is more like what they were doing in Europe and different places around the world. Mm -hmm. So they would build upon each other cohesively so that, so that when they, and they would also be looking at when kids are developmentally ready for different things. So this, so when somebody tries to prohibit something like that, I'm like, why have you, do you know why? Why? Well, and I what think, what do you know? What, what are you, have you been to our classrooms? Have you talked right. to the, these people? You know, what's your, what's your criticism? What's the problem? Right. And I think too, I've said this to a lot of people when they say, I don't like this common core math. And they're complaining about the curriculum choice, not mm-hmm. the standard, but they don't always understand that. Okay. So the standard, I think, is we expect a child to understand X, Y, and Z. The curriculum yes. might be one that frustrates parent, teacher, or both because it right. was chosen by someone else. But the goal is still to learn X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So I think a lot of times the curriculum is labeled Common Core Math, when that's not the curriculum. Right. And we have we have the West Virginia College and Career Ready Standards. So that's the standards that we are using, which are high standards. I like those standards. They they as long I don't care what you call them, as long as they are um, developmentally appropriate, as long as they're cohesive pathway for kids to understand number and proportion and have a pathway up to whatever high level of math they want to go, I'm all for them. So, but curriculum is very different from standards. Right. So curriculum is how are we going to teach this? What maybe textbooks are we going to use to teach this? And that's all local. That is totally done on the local level. Now, a lot of textbook companies scramble to try to change the way their, their, um, textbooks looked their worksheets looked like you know how how do you do a worksheet to see if a kid understands so this is the problem and that's a concept that is not it starts early on you know we tell parents that of toddlers yeah we don't want you to show them flashcards but if they can put the red sock in the red bin they really understand what red means right yeah and so I'm not really a worksheet person so um, I, I think that that's probably something that I haven't had to deal with too much but when I would look on Facebook and see all these crazy things um, but but you look at them deeper, and they're all they are is putting on paper what you're thinking anyway. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those methods were what a lot of our brightest kids are actually doing in their head. You know, when they say, "Oh, I got it in my head. I don't know how." You know, a lot of those methods were what they were doing. We were just trying to figure out what they were doing. I'm just though not a method person. I would never tell a kid they have to do it this way. Um, I'm, I love the discussion and the discourse about all the different methods, but as a teacher, I would not feel comfortable 
telling a kid they had to do it this way. So that's why when kids come back or parents call me and say, I'm doing it wrong. They're saying I'm not doing it the right way. Like, well, um, What's that's the right interesting way? because what right way do they, do you, <laughs> are they doing? I'm not sure. We've done these ways, but. Yeah, that, it is. <laughs> that's, that is interesting. Yeah. But as far as the, the legislation, I don't know. I just think parents just need to be informed and actually know that. And then just don't buy into the hype. Don't buy into, to math being politically charged or even even anything in education. It should not be politically charged. We need to be electing people who who are going to listen to educators, mm-hmm. who are who want the best for our kids mm-hmm. in West Virginia. Or and, anywhere. And are going to be open to looking at different ways of learning math. Mm-hmm. I always, I, I told one of my teacher friends, you know, I'm a physical therapist. I wouldn't expect an architect or a chef to make decisions about how I treat my patients. And I, I don't want a politician to tell my child's teacher Mm -hmm. the best way to teach my child. And so I am passionate about and, and love when I see teachers feel confident enough to say, this is my craft. This is my area. I'm trained in it. Yeah. I'm confident. I, I went to school for this. I have experience. This mm-hmm. is my life's work. And and you need to listen to me instead of telling me what to do. Yeah, but a lot of teachers are not that confident. You know, and that and that's something that I would really push for is better um, professional development for our teachers, especially our math teachers. We are having such a hard time in West Virginia keeping good math teachers. And mm-hmm. um, those of them that we get are, are great and want to learn, but we really need good professional development that's actually sustained professional development. That means that we're going to keep checking in. Let's just try one thing this year and you know work in our classrooms and then get together and talk about it and change it and go back and try it again instead of throwing a bunch of initiatives mm-hmm. at us And it for changes. A day. Mm-hmm. All the time it changes. Yes, yeah. Right. So, so the professional <laughs> development that we need is really research-based. How are we really going to help our kids and help our teachers? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right, let's talk for a minute about girls and math. <laughs> this is one of my, my issues. When I, when I found out I was having daughters, you know, when you're in the dreamy pregnant phase before real life hits and you start imagining I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and they will do this. I I joke with Lacey that I was going to have sporty soccer players and we didn't make it through like the first two days of tight uh, shin guards. So that, that was checked off the list. But one thing that was not checked off the list was girls that would be confident in math because I didn't feel like for the most part, I was thinking about this yesterday, maybe um, elementary school was different. I had teachers that encouraged me in math, and I didn't feel treated me much differently than the boys in my class. But in high school, I, I can remember so vividly um, higher-level math teachers just calling on the boys all the time and using them for examples. And maybe there was one exception to that rule, in case any of my old teachers are listening. But... Um, 
I remember feeling less than, and 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 my grades were fine. I don't feel my understanding was very deep, but but I felt like it was just accepted um, that that we weren't going to be as good at math. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done some when we research the brain. It's a topic that we love. You know, we've read that the as far as the brain, it's not that boys necessarily are better at math. It's that they're often more receptive to the way that math is taught. The methods match up more with their brain physiology. Mm-hmm. And that girls, like you said, can come to understand math more through the conversation and the discourse and the teamwork and, and all of that. So... I'm just wondering your thoughts on how boys and girls approach math differently, um, what you've done in your classroom to empower girls to be confident in math, and just any general thoughts on gender differences with math. Hmm. Yeah, so me being a girl, (laughs) I thought about this a lot too because um, I was never felt like I was good at math in elementary, middle, high school. I, I was okay. I wasn't really into it until I started teaching it um, and then realizing that I'm actually good at it. And why didn't I do something with math? Why didn't I choose to take higher level math? And, you know, thinking about all those choices that you make as a girl and all the like self-confidence issues that we have, um, it's made me really aware of how I treat both girls and boys in the classroom. Um but there are there are gender differences. You're right. You know, I I tend to see that a lot of the boys are just like fast. You know, they're the ones who want to learn the math facts really fast, and they want the answer quick, and they want to be done with their work quick. And you know, the girls um, maybe know the right answer and don't even raise their hand. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're not sure whether it's the right answer or not. And the boys are more maybe risk takers and, and will yell it out. So that's also, the far as, as far as the yelling out, that's rewarding a fixed mindset, which I'm not going to do. I'm going to just like leave it at that. And that's why boys are probably more frustrated with me when I tell them, oh, is that the answer? I don't know. You have to figure it out. I don't have my answer key with me. So, But the girls, I have found that they love the discourse they love to be able to whisper their answer to somebody else first I've so done that I know (laughs) I know and I mean I've done that too like you know I I want to check my answer in the back of the book to see if it was right you know I say something yeah yeah so um I, I I don't know why we do that to ourselves um but um I I really think that the group work I also think that the conceptual development piece is so important for girls mm-hmm. because they do tend to be more verbal and so to be able to verbally look and talk about why is this working and oh let's connect this to this you know we can connect things in our head actually better I mean we can do many more things when, when we grow up we end up multitasking much better than our husbands can multitask right so the girls see these connections between things and I think encouraging those connections is mm-hmm. really important so I think the new that way that we're teaching is actually better for girls mm-hmm. where they it's slower I mean really think about it math in the real world you don't want fast people like, why would you want somebody quickly coming up with with some formula to, you know, for engineering for 
the a space bridge. shuttle or whatever, right. or a bridge or whatever, right? <laughs> math, real math is slow. And you Methodical. think about it. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you look at the connections and how is this going to affect that or what. And so, so I think that girls have a much better chance now with learning That's good this news. way. It makes me, it pops into my head the feeling of, I used to feel relief when we get to a word problem. Really? And I never really knew why, but that makes sense now. There's mm-hmm. more language to a word problem. Mm-hmm. There's more pieces for me to add to the hmm. the situation. There's yeah. more clues. Like yeah. I felt relief with yeah. word problems. Yeah, I don't. And know. I also tell the kids to draw things out a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, just get your pencil moving because mm-hmm. that'll connect to your brain and start working. Don't just sit there, but. And you've um, used blocks. I know oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll use blocks or we'll use manipulatives, you know, which in teacher language just means stuff. Stuff, <laughs> <laughs> stuff to hold and move around. Right, right. Um, fraction bars so you can play with them and see or area tiles so you can actually see why a 3 by 5 rectangle has an area of 15 because there's 15 blocks. Mm-hmm. And for them to touch it and see it, I think even your high-level kids, it's really yeah. important. Let, while we're talking about um, blocks, you've done a great amount of work with Lego Robotics. Lego Robotics is so cool, but our listeners might not be familiar with it. So can you just tell us a little bit about the organization, um, what what a club does, and how Lego Robotics tie with math skills, um, and in addition to math skills, social development and teamwork? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we participate with First Lego League, um, and the way we got into that um, was actually I, I didn't really get into that to be... Uh, a coach of a robotics team. I really did not. There was um, lucky bonus. <laughs> um, we have a wonderful educator resource center in Fairmont that is run by. Um, it's the NASA Educator Resource Center, and they offer so much professional development for teachers as well as workshops for kids. Um, and um, one year, um, our principal sent uh, me and Jill Livingston, another wonderful teacher that I know your kids have had, um, sent us out to Fairmont for a ra- ratios, robots and ratios um, workshop. And we played with the robots, and we connected the math, and we're like, oh, this is awesome, and we loved it. And they lent us a kit, and we got into it. And then, of course, um, the people up there are like, well, why don't you get your kids and do robotics teams? And so they started talking to us about FIRST. Um, it is a challenge every year, and it is teamwork. The kids, uh, you can have a team of up to 10, but 10 is way too many. Mm-hmm. But um, what they do is they build a robot. They build it to go through certain challenges. They also have to do a um, project that's based on a, on a scientific concept. This year, this next year, it's going to be on space. Mm. Um, last year, it was about water. Um, and so the kids are encouraged to come up with an innovative solution to a problem. So it's more than just robotics. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a um, West Virginia Alliance, Robotics Alliance, that is... Um, it's through the NASA um, Educated Resource Center, but they sponsor trainings and help and 
all kinds of stuff with robotics in West Virginia. And their goal is to get robotics in every county in West Virginia. Wow. And, and that's, they, you think that's a national situation? Like, do most states have that by now, do you um, think? A lot of states do, but West Virginia is really... Taking we a lead. have so much going on in our little state with robotics. That's and it's, great. It really is because of this West Virginia Alliance. They, they are so supportive, and they've um, done a lot to, to yeah. help out the individual counties. And there's also VEX robotics that they do. So it's mm-hmm. not just that first Lego league. There's junior FLL. There's um, uh, middle school. High school has another right. one. And then VEX robotics is a totally different robotics System. platform yeah so if um for you those of you that are listening what this kind of looks like is um just because i've observed it before the students build robots with legos and the the playing table is um also built with some lego parts but they program the robot with using math um, and a computer that hooks up to the robot and then if they've done their calculations correctly their robot will complete these challenges um, using the motor and the sensors and different pieces. So maybe it might open a gate to free animals or push something across the table into a specific target. Um, that's kind of like some of the beginner ones. But I've, I've seen high school robots shoot basketball, um, put a basket through a hoop. So they're... It's, it's perfect it's, problem-based learning. It's amazing because they're able to take what they're learning and use it to do something that's really cool and they love. Um, yeah, so it's a great program. Is there... If someone wants to start a Lego club in their community, is there a national website or resource that they should go to? Oh, I would definitely go to the West Virginia Robotics Alliance. Um... Let me see if I wrote down that information. We can find uh, it and yeah, link it. Yeah, that would definitely be what I would do. Because, or First um, Lego League nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, they could do that. I mean, you can go online and look up all that. But the West Virginia Robotics Alliance, I mean, they're here in West Virginia and they want to help. Right. So. And were there any big challenges when you started this? Like if a teacher, I don't know, there's a teacher in Nebraska listening to this mm-hmm. and they decide they want to start a Lego team or incorporate Lego robotics into their classroom. Was it easy for you? Was it hard? Um, it was a little, is the cost an issue? Yeah. Cost is an issue. Um, how much is each robot? Um, yeah, robots can be about $400 Mm -hmm. to get four between four and $500. Um, we were able to get ours through a grant and then we were able to get more, um, then you have the the registration of the team, which this year is three hundred dollars. Mm. It's gone up from two twenty five, but they include with that the um, all of the parts to the to the challenge that oh, you used to good. have to buy separately. So, cost um, then just getting your team together. One of the biggest things I've found though is um, to have a more hands off approach as a coach. Mm-hmm. I have to just facilitate. If they need something, I'll try to help them get it. But I can't do it for them. Mm-hmm. I can't program for them. I can't think for them. That's their job. And so I'm okay with my team not winning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they've learned and they've done that, um, 
Not everyone's like that. And not every parent <laughs> on a team is like that either. So, you know, you I just have to if you're if you're there for winning, um, that's great. I want my kids to win if they actually earned want it, it, want it and it, yeah. and but I want to see them work for it. I want to see them do that struggling. Right. Um and to get to the right yeah. answer. Yeah. Let's talk for a minute about little kids. Um, a lot of our audience has younger kids, and we know that you are grandma now to two adorable little ones. Going through, you know, round two with your grandkids and thinking about young children and math, what would you recommend to your daughter or to other parents about math in terms of early math or play-based math? Um what did you do with your kids when they were toddlers in terms of... <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I don't even remember what I did with my kids. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but now, I, being with Jack and Brooke, something that I know that we do all the time is we count everything, you know? Mm-hmm. How, how many times can you bounce the ball? How many swings are you doing? You know, how, how many... And then doing things in a pattern. I was giving Brooke a bath the other night, and we were just dropping a ball. And I would drop it twice and then stop, and she'd be waiting for that. You know, uh-huh. just that pattern. And um, just the, the counting and everything. The um, Assuming like, you don't do flashcards. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I used to think I had to, though. Yeah. I remember when my kids were little, I thought, oh, my gosh, I better get flashcards, you know? I mean, cause everyone like, around me is getting oh flashcards. Yes. And, and those remember in the 80s, those big square things that had the clear like cube shaped buttons that when you pressed it, your math fact was revealed. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I wouldn't waste your money on that. I, yeah. Well, they probably don't make them anymore. But <laughs> yeah, well, um, <laughs> that was like the 1980 flashcard. Yeah. <laughs> One of my boys, Sam, went to a Montessori school when he was uh, four and I remember walking in there and going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Because just all the stuff they had and, mm-hmm. and the way they just were moving blocks around. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. This is what all kids need. Yeah. So, so play-based is good. Absolutely. So what about um, when we're talking about basic, basic math facts and, and flashcards and, and understanding those basic math facts, do you feel like it's important to really know those basic math facts? Are we skipping over them to push for higher math too soon? Or what are your thoughts about, you know, a parent who's trying to get their kids to memorize their threes times tables? Or yeah, it doesn't matter. I have memories that still give me um, shudders. <laughs> when I was in second grade, my family moved from the United States to England and over there, we had not even talked about multiplication in the beginning of second grade. When I got there, they knew all their multiplication tables up to 12. And I remember having to stand up and do them every night. And I still do not know what seven times eight is. I, and I don't care. And I, you know, um, I, it's, it's okay. I mean, math facts will make things faster for you. Um, but I am not opposed to kids using their fingers. I am not opposed to kids writing down if they need to know what seven times eight is, writing seven, 14, 21, 28, doing the patterns and finding out what it is because they're actually learning then Mm -hmm. how the structure of multiplication works when they do it. And eventually they'll get it. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, math facts, and, and I remember talking to some people who were really super good in math that were not as good at math when they were young. They didn't have their math facts memorized. And so, and then now they're rocket scientists, you know. And so, so math facts does not equate it genius status. It doesn't equate. <laughs> um, it helps. I got to say it helps. I'm not, I'm not one of these who say don't memorize anything. But mm-hmm. memorization for memorization's sake, I don't think is good. Right. I do think... If you're going to use the memorization to problem solve, mm-hmm. that's something different. Yeah, because it comes. It mm-hmm. comes. But if we force it, it becomes really stressful. Um, but as far as pushing into higher level math earlier, I think our new standards, though, are pushing for understanding as we go. And our new standards, which aren't so new anymore, but... Our standards stress fluency of mathematics is one of the things. Fluency meaning, can I do them easily? You know, mm-hmm. and fluency doesn't mean that I have everything memorized. There's only a certain amount of things I can put in my brain and have readily available mm-hmm. and be able to spurt out. But we want to have a balanced approach between fluency conceptual understanding and problem solving that's the thing to Mm -hmm. make it balanced that's interesting so that's good all right the mic is yours parents and students are going back to school soon what what do you want them to know oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) you can say any 33 years of what you've been thinking oh my gosh yeah Duh, duh duh i don't know um I might well you can ask me what I've been reading lately. My yes. big thing that I've been reading lately is about mindset. Okay. Um I think that's incredibly important. Um it's just for students to understand that when they come into a math classroom that there is no such thing as a math brain that even though they have not been successful in math before they still can be. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's that, good. That and teachers need to know that as well. Um that Struggle is good. Mistakes are how we learn. Mm-hmm. And um, that that when we make a mistake, that we see it as a challenge. Well, how can we get better from this? Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, saying, oh, I can't. I see so many kids give up the first time. Like, they give up when they don't mm-hmm. get it the first time. And if I gave up the first time that I didn't do anything, I mean, I'd still, go, where would I be? I don't know. Any of us that are yeah. successful, we, we, we don't say that in sports either, do we? No. <laughs> we don't, you know. Oh, well, sorry, I mean, you didn't make a touchdown this time, you're done. You're done, right. <laughs> we don't. We say, we practice, right? We say, okay, if you didn't make the basket, go and shoot hoops, Try right? again, right. But we're easy, we, we allow kids to easily give up on math. And, and parents do this, too. I, I don't know how many times I have had conferences with parents, and they go, oh, well, I wasn't good at math either, so they're not good at math. Would we do that for reading? Would we say, oh, well, I, didn't, I can't read, so my <laughs> kid can't read? You know? <laughs> Like, we no, wouldn't do that. we would never do that. No, no. So why do we do that for math? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. We don't have to. No. So, but parents need to be really, really aware that they don't put those 
anxieties in. Yeah. And that could be also the math homework thing. If you're sitting there trying to help your kid and you they got, feed you're off anxious, you. mm-hmm. the kids are going to feel that anxiety too. So That's ask why I didn't kid. do homework. Yeah, ask your kid. We'll <laughs> explain it. What do you think? You know, how did they do it at school? You know, and just don't be afraid for you as a parent to be wrong. Right. Because as a teacher, I'm not afraid to be wrong. I make mistakes. If the kids catch me making a mistake, I go... Thank you. That's awesome. I will fix that. <laughs> What's going on with me? So we can't be afraid to make mistakes, and we we have to model that. Right. One of my favorite things is one time I had to help with homework because Brent was out of town, <laughs> I'll be honest. And when she came home, she said, Mom, we got them all wrong. <laughs> and, but I figured out how to do it the right way. And when we were doing them together, she was right. And I was totally wrong. But that was great for her to yeah. know that she could show me how to do it. Right. Um, and yeah. that she, they are well above where their mother is in math, <laughs> which I think should be every parent's goal, really, for anything at school. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for being here. This this is going to help, I think, so many teachers, so many, especially parents, and we can dream maybe even some legislator legislator members, um, <laughs> maybe some policymakers. We're certainly going to share it far and wide because we think it's an important conversation. Um, so thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And you can always catch us online at milestones and milestonesandmiracles.com with the and spelled out. We have a, a bunch of resources for you there. Tons of free information on our blog, links to continuing education courses for therapists. As always, 123 Just Play With Me, which makes a great tool for therapists or a baby gift for new parents. Um, it can be found on our website, on Amazon, and in select developmental toy stores and we uh, thank you for spending some time with us this afternoon and remember to keep playing thanks